Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Monday, October 16th. I'm Chris Manning, that man over there is Brendan clean if you haven't already please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice give us five star reviews only and hit subscribe on the just basketball fans youtube channel on the road to a thousand help us get there i want to tell you about our friends at homage too homage is an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with nba and wmba licenses it uses vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories traditions and figures across sports music and pop culture use our link below in the description to make your purchase and support the just basketball show i myself am considering an impulse new york liberty hoodie purchase from our friends at homage after that finals performance that's where we're going to start today WNBA Finals Game 3. The New York Liberty take this one. It's back home. I think, Brendan, the big story and where we should start with this from a performance standpoint, we'll get to the Chelsea Gray injury, is the New York Liberty's defense. I, I This was a night and day defensive performance from the Liberty who were absolutely, I think, fair to say, decimated defensively those first two games. And this was the top, top level defensive performance they needed to get back in the series, at least, at least for one game. It was. They controlled the pace. We talked about that coming off the last game, that if you could just force the Aces into more of a half-court environment, I think that obviously does wonders. That is the element that they just are going to struggle with since losing Candace Parker. I thought that they, in particular, Laney and Sabrina Ionescu had incredible on-ball defensive games. Laney, you kind of expect that from. I think Sabrina deserves a really big shout-out for embracing that necessity on that end tonight. And 11 assists from her as well. Just a very uncharacteristic but very, very strong game from, from Sabrina. And then that allowed Stewie and Jonquel Jones to accumulate five blocks between the two of them. And I think when you kind of just add up those different components, that's how you get a game where New York or where Vegas only scores 73 points, Chris. And nobody, I don't think you would say on the on the Vegas side had a great game. Uh, Kelsey Plum with 29 points, but shot worse than 50 percent from the field, had more turnovers and assists and uh, wasn't really dominant in her own right at all. So. That's how you turn the, the tide of a series. That's how you control a game. That's what the Liberty have done all season in order to kind of exert their influence and play games on their terms, and that's what we saw. Who do you think is at the center of this defensive performance for the Liberty, as I, as I think where I want to move this? Because you could answer this in a bunch of different ways, I think. You could say Brianna Stewart, who I thought as a shot blocker, as a rim protector, was just everywhere. I mean, she had blocks on the perimeter. She had the block of Asia Wilson where Asia, I mean, it was just a, it was more in some ways like Asia making a bad decision because she just didn't look and she probably gets away with that against most other teams and most other players. But when it's Brianna Stewart, it's kind of just hard to get away with not looking for a shot. You just assume you're going to get off. You mm-hmm. could go with John Quill Jones because John Quill Jones was switching on to guard. She was defending the rim. She was rebounding. She was doing everything. And then you have Batanji Laney, who's effectively took Jackie Young, I think, out of this game. If you look at Jackie Young through the first few games, she was the real ceiling raiser, I think, in a lot of ways for the Aces. She was 2-9 from the field in this game, 0-3 from 3. Had five assists, one turnover, so she did okay as a passer, but wasn't the the scorer that she was in the first few games, and in, in, in a way that really, 
I think brought this back to earth with Liberty, made the aces easier to defend. So, I mean, if you're going to look at those three players, I think above the rest, who do you was the defensive tone center? Who was at the center of, of this turnaround for New York? I think it has to be John Quill Jones personally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. When you kind of factor in the fact that she not only was doing the rim protection help defensive components that you mentioned, the fact that she was switching onto some of those guards, but I would add another layer to it, which is she pretty much clamped down Asia in isolation Mm -hmm. the majority of the time. And then another part of it too was, I would say the best thing Asia did tonight, aside from getting to the free throw line, although it's kind of connected to what I'm going to say is she was just a beast on the offensive glass. She only got three, but she was really impacting the boards all day. Uh, but even to to end up only limiting her to three, I think speaks to JJ's rebounding prowess as well. And, and even just getting a hand on some of those, even though she only got eight, Stewie got 12 and you had uh, Vandersloot with seven. It was, you know, a night where the aces were able to, or the Liberty were able to control the glass anyway. So, you add all that up and I I think it has to be her. Um, And yeah, I guess the blocks kind of turned into turnovers, but I think it's, it's all connected, right? Because I think another big thing that the team as a whole did is just turn their defense into offense at a really high level. And so I don't know if that's any one person, but that's probably the other part that I would really emphasize is uh, the Liberty tonight had, uh, 13 points off turnovers and 12 fast break points. That's basically the difference. You know, the aces only had two fast break points. That's a 10 point differential there in that one category. And the final score is only 14 points apart. You know what I mean? And, and we know pace has been so important. So I would say it's those two things. It's Jones as an individual player being everywhere. And then it's the ability to, to really press and turn those not always turnovers, but even just stops into offense on the other side. Yeah, I think Benagelani is the other is would be like my two. Yeah, like which just feels yeah. weird to put Stewie at three because of how good Stewie was, and Stewie had like the high rate real plays. Like when you're going to clip this game out, it's going to be a lot of Brianna Stewart blocking shots, but mm-hmm. Laney. I think particularly if we're going to look at this going forward a little bit and what if this game was replicable for the Liberty. I think that adjustment and just having her do what she did on Young and really prioritize that. And I think kind of trust everyone else to be on a string and to be active. And Sabrina Inescu, to her credit, was part of that by kind of being everywhere, putting her body on the line in spots and, and being in passing lanes. That, that to me, feels like something you can replicate and build a scheme around as much as John Quill Jones. John Quill Jones is absolutely one. You're right, because she makes what we're talking about with Laney possible. But the Laney part is like the layer. Like if, if that's I don't have a good food analogy in front of me in my head right now. But if this was like a like a trifle, do they have trifles in, in Arizona? You know what I'm talking about? Like, a yeah, sure. OK, like a know. cake with way. some cream and fruit and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's like stacked on top of each other. It's like yeah. the cake is the core of that, but then it's like the cream and fruit layer on top of that is is mm-hmm. Laney, and then Stewie's like the the whatever other kind of things you're gonna throw in there. She's like the the fun stuff on top of that because she can be everywhere else and do all this other stuff and switch and, and be everywhere. This is yeah, 
this is I think Brendan, the other part of this that's just impressive is when we were looking at the series and thinking about the leverage the Liberty could pull, at least I looked at it and thought, okay, do they have to just go all out on offense and try to outscore the aces? They kind of did a very classical, really good team thing, regardless of gender and basketball, which is pull a defensive performance betting on your talent to be able to play defense at a high level when you absolutely need them to. This is just like proof of them just being as good as they are. As bad as they were in games one and two, this is maybe the best version of the Liberty in some ways when their defense looks like this and it makes everything easier. Your fa- the fast break point thing is, is a great shout on your part. Yeah, you're not going to win... I think playing the opponent's game and and this is how the Liberty have been able to win all season. And, and so it doesn't necessarily surprise me that this was the recipe tonight. I would even say, you know, it was a group effort against Chelsea Gray, but I think that can transition us to the injury a little bit too. But even before Chelsea Gray goes down with the ankle thing about 449 of the fourth quarter, she was, Silenced. She was erased in this game. And that was the switching, which you pointed out, but it was also a little bit of Laney. They, they, they would start possessions with Stewie on gray at times. And it was, it was all sorts of different looks that they were giving her. But when she is able to control the pace, make some of those outlet passes and just magic kind of playmaking moments, plus get to her mid range pull up, in the half court, the aces are unstoppable. I mean, that's what happened in last year's finals. That's why she was the finals MVP last year. It it just is an element that is the last little ingredient where you no longer can stop them because they're spaced. They have Asia. They have good role, role players in terms of literally R-O-L-L on the screen when Gray is running the pick and roll. And when she's able to be a threat, it just, it just kind of gives you no answers. And so to make her into a four of 12 night, only two assists, which is crazy after how great she was in those first two games, you just cut off the head of the snake and, and it's kind of a lot more confusing, a lot more overthinking and a lot less efficient. And that's what we saw, but it, I just saw a clip of Becky Hammond, Chris post game. And it sounds like she's expecting at least next game, like she's speaking in a way where it's not like we're optimistic we're going to have her at least on what is the next game Wednesday. It doesn't sound like mm-hmm. she thinks that's going to happen. So yeah, Chelsea Gray is is maybe I think considering her importance to the to the Liberty or importance to the Aces, excuse me, importance to this matchup, her stature and just kind of how she makes everything work for the Aces, and I think really allows. Plum and Young to kind of do what they're best at. This is a really devastating injury to the Aces. This is just a devastating injury on a human level. I mean, she, it didn't, like in real time, if you, until they slowed it down, I, it wasn't clear to me at least what exactly happened. I mean, people in, in person, I'm curious to see how it looked depending on your vantage point. She stays in for a minute and then they end up calling a timeout. She says on the bench, they caught her on camera, on AB, on television. My ankle popped. Mm-hmm. She goes back to the locker room. They show her trying to walk. And then eventually she's helped by two people down the tunnel. Yeah. That did not feel like an injury that you're... I mean, just... We have seen that happen before. Sometimes, like, the adrenaline... 
like things just are better yeah. than you think. And she time. took the shot. That was the funny part. She took a pull up three right after in the moment when she stayed in that you mentioned she missed it. It wasn't off like something seriously wrong here. It's like, you know, I, I'm not comparing the injuries, but didn't Rondo one time take a three after he tore his ACL or whatever it was yeah. like it, it does happen. But um, didn't Kobe did that like a Kobe thing as well where he did something when he tore the Achilles, he shot his free throws. Same as Clay uh, yeah. with the ACL and his with his free throws. Free throws are a little different. So, but to take a full on, like I'm running a pick and roll and launching a three was crazy. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I it definitely looks significant. She was in a lot of pain. It sounds like she was on crutches as she was uh, exiting the locker room. Doesn't sound good, but if you're talking about it big picture, it's probably a serious sprain, right? Like that would be the easiest guess right now. Just like a pretty intense ankle sprain. If she, I mean, let's assume she's out Wednesday, even if it's a high ankle sprain of some kind or something serious, it's hard to imagine her at a hundred percent in a week, you know, for, I think when would game, when would game five be? Is it I next think it's Sunday? the next Sunday. I think so. So, so like that, that maybe gives you time and you're back home and all that stuff. But yeah, it should be, okay, actually it says game five and I Googled this, maybe Google's wrong, but it says Friday. It says Friday night. Okay. Friday night in so quicker turnaround. So this will be Friday night, 9 p.m. That's even that's less time. Yep. This is the kind of injury, Brendan, that I think if we're if she misses these next few games and I I am aware that I am the person who said on our last show that the series was over. I'm, I'm fully aware that I said that and I own it. This is the kind of thing that opens the door for the Liberty to come back and win this series. I, I, there is not anyone that the Aces can put in, all due respect to their bench players, that can replicate a bit of what Chelsea Gray does. They can ask more of Kelsey Plum. I think that would be the first thing I would probably do is put the sure. ball in Kelsey Plum's hands more. But it's not going to replicate the steadiness, some of the mid-range shot making, the size that I think Chelsea Gray is giving you at her position. And I think big, and I think big picture... This makes the Liberty's defensive job coming off of this game where they were great on defense. It makes their job simpler. Now you can probably put more bodies on the floor um, to counteract Plum. Landy can be pretty much stashed on Jackie Young, and you don't have to worry about that. If you need to, you can turn up the offensive die a little bit and say, hey, and they did this a little bit in this game. We can put Ionescu and Vandersloot and Johannes all on the floor together, and you're probably not as worried about getting punished for it because of what the Aces have to do now. This is going to ask a lot of Asia Wilson. This is going to ask a lot of Kelsey Plum. But the door is now, because of this injury, unfortunately, on top of that performance, the door is just now more open for the Liberty to win game four at home and to get to game five where anything could actually, anything absolutely could happen, even if it's back in Las Vegas. Definitely. I think those are all great points. To me, the there's nobody to, to replace her, right? Because... Um, just as a refresher for people like Candace Parker is out. We mentioned that a minute ago, but Raquana Williams is also away from the team as she deals with uh, criminal allegations. The bench just didn't have much besides that. I mean, when you spend really big on, on your top eight in, in the WNBA, you're not going to have a lot of room with the hard cap to, to get a lot of other difference makers. I think we saw Kirsten Bell come in right after the gray injury. Here's the sequence that followed. Jackie Young got her pocket picked because she was taking the ball up the floor and Laney got a layup. We saw Kirsten Bell misjudge a back cut 
defensively gave up a mismatch where she was trying to guard John Quill Jones in the post. JJ got a layup. Then back on offense, Bell turns it over directly because she botched a catch in the corner. That was two or three possessions. Becky Hammond bailed on that experiment and Kia Stokes came back in and they closed the game big. So I don't know if that's tenable. I don't think Kirsten Bell is enough of a threat offensively that you can roll with her. I think what the most likely situation is, is that they are a little bit quicker with their rotations, but I think Sydney Colson might start game four would yeah. be my guess because she has kind of been on ice for a lot of the season. She's not really somebody who plays a lot of minutes for this team because their top seven, eight, nine is, is so good, but she is pretty reliable, had a few moments over the course of the season when she did play. She's not some sort of Udonis Haslam, you know, uh, just washed. I'm on the bench to, to kind of be an assistant coach. She can play and she gives them as close to a real point guard as they have aside from Chelsea Gray. So I would think she is probably the other person in the starting lineup. I'm not saying she plays 40 minutes. That's kind of where I think they would go. But I think flipping to the other team, as you just mentioned, is, the, is maybe the place to close it out because the ripple effects of that are exactly what you mentioned. I I thought this was a worst case scenario game for Maureen Johannes. I thought yeah. she was pretty terrible tonight, if I'm being honest. Yeah. She played six minutes in the first half, didn't make a shot. Um, she comes back in the fourth quarter, misses a three on the first Liberty possession of the fourth, and then turns the ball over on the next Liberty possession, trying to make a really fancy drop pass to John Quill Jones. I thought Kelsey Plum just bullied her defensively. And if, if the gray injury doesn't happen, if maybe the game closes a little bit more neck and neck, it's the kind of game where we would probably have been saying Marine Johannes needs to be benched for game four. But if you're talking about a depleted aces squad and somebody like Colson is out there more, somebody like Bell is out there more, the defensive concerns aren't as big of a problem. Johannes becomes playable. Some of those small lineups become playable. They open the fourth quarter with a really small lineup with Marine Johannes and Courtney Vandersloot in there. It was like a minute or two and they lost those minutes seven to three and Stewie had to check back in. So there's all these red flags that you saw that just kind of go away if the matchups aren't as... Uh, scary frankly so it's just going to require more from plum and young i mean that's there's really no other way to put it but it's it's going to be a pretty heavy lift for sure plum and young are probably playing 40 minutes in in the next game well plum played 40 tonight and she had yeah. foul trouble so yeah i would say uh it's gonna have to be one of those nights i mean this is how they played just to maybe give a little bit of context too here this is how they played before they got chelsea gray they only got chelsea yeah. gray a few years ago so they had Sydney Colson, who's been on the team for a while, playing minutes back then. Lindsay Allen, who was on the Lynx this year. She was a starting point guard for this team at one at one point. They've had, you know, kind of by committee with Derek Ahambi being somewhat of a playmaker. And they had uh, Kayla McBride also on the Lynx this year, who was kind of a comfortable combo guard at an earlier iteration of this squad. So they've done this before, but there's a reason that they made and won the finals once they got, they made the finals of the bubble too, but why Chelsea Gray made such a difference. You remove her and this is a version of a team that struggled to get over the hump for a reason. And it's probably a thinner version because they don't have the by committee approach anymore. It was, it was, it had to be her. So now it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. And look, I think the other option just to say would probably be to start Clark, but I think we just see the, the Liberty just don't care when she has the ball in the perimeter. 
They just don't And they'll care. close with her either way, right? Like, Sidney Colson's yeah. not closing. So you're right. That's that's the lineup. It's just, how do you fill the what other you, minutes? Yeah, I, I think if I'm looking at game four, the X Factor for New York, or excuse me, for Las Vegas, it has to be Kelsey Plum. I think this is... Yeah. If there's ever a time for her to absorb some of what Chelsea Gray does, and, and that's probably a long-term thing for for the aces is they team build and they plan for the future this is kind of the spot where you need her to do it right now which is going to be an ask it's not going to be easy she's not as big as chelsea gray is and that's Mm -hmm. a huge part of chelsea gray's game and the footwork inside but like chelsea gray at some point in in game four brennan the first time it happens john quill jones is going to switch on to kelsey plum and i'm going to be zeroed in on that every time it happens it's going to be i maybe the deciding thing because that was one of the deciding things of this game. I think it's going to be one of the deciding things in Game 4. Also, one before we transition, want to give you kudos for using a Gen Z phrase in Red Flags. Good good for you. That's, mm. that's, 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 yeah. that's a big Gen Z. That's a big Gen Z TikTok thing. So I'm, I'm just... You're welcome. Thank you for, thanks for giving us some youthful energy here on the show because I'm like 90 years old spiritually. All right, moving on. Uh, what matters most preseason edition? Here are the three... You've thrown this in there. I'm going to give you the three things and i i have a clear answer for this and i'm curious to see if you go the same way here are the three things okay. drew holiday coming off the bench for the boston celtics the new orleans pelicans lack of defensive effort and victor Wembenyama looking like an all-star i do want to say brendan despite that you're a he's not Wemby guy you called him Wemby in the outline and i just feel like you need to be called on the floor for this no that's absolutely fair i didn't realize i did that um that, okay, let's just clarify first. Is it an overstatement for me to say he's looked like an all-star? Because I kind of set aside the nickname stuff. I hesitated to, like, jump the gun that much. But in his first two preseason games as a member of the San Antonio Spurs, he has 20 points and then 23 points. Uh, 10 combined three-point attempts, shot 60-plus percent from the field in both, had a bunch of highlight reel. I saw a post on the NBA subreddit, Chris, that had... 13 bullet points of highlights of yeah. just these two preseason games. Yeah, I, I, I consumed the All-star. Same thing. Yeah. So he's I mean, that's what he looks that, like. I'm not trying to predict. Yeah. I'm not making my all-star predictions in October. I'm just saying, like, that's kind of the caliber of thing that he's looked like. And so that's my answer. If, if we're on the same page that he's been a freak, oh. that just looks a lot... He looks a lot more ready to impact winning, especially on the offensive end, than I ever would have guessed. So that's my that's my pick of the what matters most here between those three things. So I think that's very valid. I think the one I don't care about is the Pelicans because it's the preseason and sometimes this is weird. But if Zion is not if Zion is getting cooked in the regular season in a week and we're zooming in on him and that's my Instagram reel Instagram feed is just and TikTok feed is just like Zion getting cooked in isolation. Like we're gonna have a we're gonna have to have a discussion mm-hmm. here on the show, on the Just Basketball Show about about that. But Wemby's Victor. Victor, Vic, is Vic. the correct answer probably, but I went through Holiday. Okay. This, this is that is something that is shaping how a title contender is going to play basketball. So I default to that. I Vic is going to be awesome either when he has done things that are just like absolutely freakish. He's getting like beat sometimes, and he just like turns around and puts his arm up, and it's like. Oh, okay. He just blocked the shot anyway. Like it doesn't matter. And is there's already becoming a meme format basically on NBA internet of guys' face when Vic does insane shit to them. We had Thomas Bryant getting dunked on and not even realizing Victor Wimbenyama like 
could physically be in the place above Thomas Bryant, who's seven feet tall's head that he ended up being. We had Jalen Williams getting like a, like we yeah, talk about Jaylen guards recovering when they get beat on like a screen and they recover to contest from behind or stay in the play. Vic just does that blocking dunks and yeah. Jalen Williams had a, had a reaction to that one. But uh, okay. Tell me if you think so, it's the well, Drew Holiday him, one though. Him, him putting his arms in the air, doing the Luke Cornette. Uh-huh. It's, it's, I yes. think it's just now the victory. It's now just the Victor Wembanyama. It's no longer the Luke Cornette. And I feel like if somebody has too much of a line drive jumper, it might just get blocked with that. Like, I'm not convinced that actually that's not going to turn into a block. Cornette, I never think it is, but you add like two inches and, you know, maybe like four inches on the wingspan. And I'm kind of actually wondering if maybe he gets a hand on one. Isaac Okoro is so fucked when the Cavs play the Spurs. Yes, exactly. There's a there are certain players in this league who uh, who actually have to watch out for that. But okay, if the Drew Holiday one is the most impactful, most important, I think I probably agree with the way you put it. Is it the right call, the wrong call? What do you think about him actually as the move that they made? Is it good? I I kind of like it as a way to manage Drew Holiday's workload. Like this. What about of your managing Al Horford's workload? Because he's well, the that, guy starting. That, here, here's the thing. They put they they put themselves in this position where like <laughs> Al Horford just has to play a lot of minutes, and like how they fill Horford minutes, like if he doesn't play back to backs, let's say, is going to just be like fascinating. You know, like it, it's mm-hmm. that that's one of the real big questions I think when we get to our Celtics preview is just like how do you like assume Al Horford's going to be able to tap into the fountain of youth for another season? Like it's a really big bet. I'm not really sure he has to play a lot of minutes, though. That's part of what worries me about him coming about him starting in the first place is like, okay, we don't have to like pretend as if Luke Cornett is some sort of sure thing. But if you just say we're going to only really have one big at a time on the court, right? Then guys like Hauser, O'Shea Brissett, Peyton Pritchard, I do kind of trust. Maybe Jordan Walsh gets in there and makes an impact in small minutes as a as a rookie. That's kind of what I thought they would do, not start two bigs and then kind of pigeonhole yourself into now we have to play Cornette, now Horford is maybe our starting four and backup five, and that just increases his minutes. It just seems like a weird thing to do, and it feels like maybe they're just doing it for Horford's pride and because Drew Holiday's like a good dude who will accept it. It feels a little more political than basketball to me. That that feels very possible, and I honestly, there's times where I don't understand what Joe Missoula what goes on in his brain. So, like, sure, like you could tell me that's the case. I mean, did you listen to him on Old Man in the Three? By the way, uh, no, I I only saw the clip where JJ's like, "You did lose to the eight seed, my guy." <laughs> yeah, that was kind of that's funny, all, but I, it's I a have, good interview. I, that, I came I away respecting it, yeah. him more. It's a, it's a good one, and it makes him a little more human and a little less robotic. And he was pretty humble about like I was kind of just going through the motions i did not have time to implement stuff and i made mistakes and i think that's uh, that's all you can kind of hope for but you're not worried about the holiday thing you're not worried about I horford think, i mean i'm i i'm a little worried i i think like it is like a bold choice to do this i think it would be more seamless for like rotating in your other good players i.e like peyton pritchard to just start drew holiday mm-hmm but I, I wonder how much of I wonder how much of the calculus of this also has to do with Porzingis and wanting to kind of give Porzingis the right structure to let him succeed. I think that has to be mm-hmm. considered part of this. Like I think a lot of their bet this year and in the future is on making this Porzingis thing work. That's why they just extended him. That's what happens when you trade um, 
a franchise lifeline in Marcus Smart for someone like Porzingis, right? Sure. I think this is. I think you. I almost. I'm viewing so many Celtics decisions through the Chris Epps Porzingis lens in a way that I might be overdoing it, but I kind of. That's where my brain went with this. Also, Drew Holiday is going to close that. Like ultimately, when it's Game Seven against the Bucks, who's going to be defending Damian Lillard? It's going to be Drew fucking Holiday. Like that's not even a question. Yeah, the better question with closing might actually sometimes be Holiday or White. Yeah. Because there are going to be matchups where they do need to close with Horford, especially in the postseason. Like, I'm not denying Horford's importance to the team, but I'm almost emphasizing the importance by saying save him, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's also the kind of thing where if Horford has one, even a minor injury, and ends up missing games, then Missoula kind of gets the freedom to be like, okay, Al. And when you yeah. come back, you're going to be coming off the bench. You know, like, we did it. And then you proved us right, which is that you're injury prone because, of course, you're almost 40 years old. You should be injury prone. So now you're going to play your 12 minutes off the bench and O'Shea is going to get back in the rotation and we'll go back to what everyone thought we were going to do. I feel like that could happen. Um, Can we move on to some slop that gets us into the Phoenix Phoenix realm here? Brendan, I love some slop. Tell tell us about the slop. A reminder, as always, for anybody not knowing what Slop of the Week is, it is the little nuggets that places like Hoops Hype, the NBA subreddit, NBA Twitter love to give us. And people do, you know, the yeoman's work of finding and disseminating these things so that we don't even have to. But in this case, it was Zach Lowe on his Low Post podcast talking about the Miami Heat who have now swung and missed on 453,000 straight stars um, that they have wanted to trade for, allegedly. One of them being Bradley Beal, which is why this has a Suns connection. And Zach Lowe basically said that part of why the Heat did not pursue Beal all that aggressively. Now, of course, he had a no-trade clause, but if you have read a little bit of the coverage since, it wasn't such a no-brainer that he came... It's not like it was only Phoenix for him. And so it does think, seem like Miami had a, had a shot. The salary played a part. But the other thing that seemed to weigh uh, pretty heavily for them, according to Zach Lowe, Chris, is... They don't consider Beal to be a huge upgrade over Tyler Hero. Here's this is just as sloppy as slop gets. I really love it. So what do you think? Is he better than Tyler Hero? Is this the stupidest report of all time? Where, where are we here? My, my brain just went to they saw Tyler Hero removing his heat affiliations on social media and like just kind of like having fun with the fact that he was in trade rumors in media day and being like, yeah, we got to like make sure Tyler Hero knows that we love him. How much better than... Hero is Beal in your in your uh, consideration. I think. Hmm. I mean, I would rather pay Tyler Hero's contract. This is the way I would maybe answer this. Hmm. If I'm the Heat, I kind of understand this calculus because it's like, do you want to be paying Bradley Beal all of that money when he's like not hit the highs of let's say a Damian Lillard? But that's not what they really are saying, though. They're comparing it to Hero. Yeah, but I just, th- I just think, I. Just You're think just saying Lillard makes the yeah. same amount, so that's the comp. Yeah, and I just think, I just sure. think the contract stuff, whether it's fair or not, I do, th- I do think if we're like thinking about this in terms of trades, not just like blind rankings, I do think the contract stuff like factors into this. Even if like they're never going to say that, I do just think it's. It's baked into player value at this point to some degree. Um, and- What's funny, though, is you say they wouldn't ever say that. I actually think that's a much safer thing to say. Hey, 
Beal just costs too much for what we think his production is going to be, so we didn't want to do it. Yeah, Not but, we yeah. actively think our our you know twenty five year old unproven dude is okay. better but, than the all star all NBA guy who went to Phoenix. That's like actually ballsier thing to let get out than he just okay. costs too much. No, but I I think you're wrong about this because I think the thing you do you the it's this is a messaging question. It's mm-hmm. not a clean, simple message and, like, sends a great, like, sense of belief to your guy when you're like, we don't actually think he's better, but his contract's a better value. You just need to say that he's better, even if you actually don't fully believe that, and it has contract. It's like you have to think that the, you, the message yeah. has to be as clear as possible. Did Tyler the Knicks last Tyler summer say R.J. Barrett was better than Donovan Mitchell? Did the Knicks say that? I If they did there, I mean crazy talk from the Knicks if that's the case yeah probably a harder case to make even to RJ even RJ would have been like okay come on no he's not no I'm not (laughs) here's there's also a difference in like okay if it's New York the New York Post all of the outlets covering the Knicks are just going to shit on the Knicks for that Mm -hmm. if it's Miami that doesn't exactly happen in the same way based on how we've seen the game coverage I think unfold Miami Miami media eats up whatever the heat say so yeah that's fair um I think Beal's significantly better, but he is. You know. He is, but is he? But if you're the Heat and you have like kind of one move with Hero, I get it. You know what I mean? I get mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. posturing this in in that sense. But I think that does big take season a for Hero review. Yeah, he yeah, does. season for Tyler Hero. So most, if you don't, if you're tuning in for the first one of these previews, here's how we do it. Most important player, player we'll be talking about at the end of the season, best lineup. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, and the over under in terms of their Vegas win totals. Brennan, this is for me the most important player is Bradley Beal, and it's not really even okay. a question. I I just think you bring him in, and I think you could argue Durant. I think you could argue Booker. Um, I think I'm gonna throw some love Booker's way later in a question I'm gonna ask you, and he's my answer to that question. So we'll get to that. But I think this is a big bet on Bradley Beal adjusting and a big bet on Bradley Beal doing something we have not seen him really do in the NBA as be the third guy and also play in a winning basketball environment for the first time in a while. Brendan, I'm going to ask you a question, a trivia question here. What season was the last time Bradley Beal was on a team where based on their net rating, they had an expected 500 or better win total? Was it the year with Russ? The bubble year? I, I'm. It's 17-18. Okay. So pre this is pre COVID. That's an eternity mm-hmm. in the NBA. That long yes. without playing winning basketball, two way basketball is a big deal. He's had some injury concerns since then. I certainly think you should expect an uptick in effort and whatnot when you're out of the environment he was in in DC. But this is a prove it this is a bet on Bradley Beal proving the the best version of himself correct by making this trade and going out to get him. That that is my view on Bradley Beal on this team and it's a very big bet in terms of the sun stakes and also a big financial bet considering what he's making all valid how good do they need him to be to win a championship what do they Not need him to do they need hit they need two things they need him to hit a lot of catch and shoot threes which he that's going to be a dial he needs to turn up and they need him when katie inevitably misses 10 games or something because it's going to happen we kind of know Katie's probably going to like tweak an ankle and miss some time. That just happens at this point. Or he'll sprain the exact same MCL in January that he has the past two years. Yeah. Yes. It's just like, oh, it's January 15th or whatever. Time for Katie to yep. 
land weird on his on his knee and he's going to miss some time. He needs to eat a lot of innings and keep the offense afloat when that happens. And I think he also just has to be competent enough on defense. And it like mm-hmm. if you're if you're an opposing team, and you're let's let's say you're Denver, right? And you're thinking, okay, which who who on the perimeter are we going to try to target in these certain cases? It's not Booker. It's not Durant. It's not yeah. a Kogi if he's the if he's the fifth starter. You know, maybe it's the centers, which we'll talk about. I think as a as a concern with this team. You've covered that well in Locked On Suns as well. I I think the I think the answer is going to be you're going to test Beal. Jamal Murray is going to like test Beal in those situations. Yeah. There, there's a lot of two way I think importance on and what we're going to see from from Beal, and I think that's what they need. It's sub like sub all star level adjusted play. Eats a ton of innings and plays better when guys miss time, and then he holds up on defense in a way that we just kind of need to see improve it to do it. Yeah. So now that we're past the trade, I agree with everything you said. I think uh, I'll, I'll take issue or not take issue. I'll, I'll push back on one one part of it, but let me just preface by saying now that we're past the trade and we're just analyzing him as a basketball player, I think everybody would agree what Bradley Beal provides for the Suns, the way that he fits with the star players that they had already in Booker and Durant, and just the overall upside of having him on your roster, significant improvement over Landry Shamit and Chris Paul, which is effectively what they gave up to get him. So just to get that out of the way, um, I actually think one aspect of what you said, I've evolved my thinking on the more that I've heard from Frank Vogel and the more that I've watched them uh, in preseason so far. I think Beal is going to actually be less of a Ray Allen in the 08 Celtics than I thought. Like, I think he actually is going to play a lot of Beal ball here, too. I don't think it'll just be that he's kind of running off screens and, and in the corner and okay, now now books out, like, you do your thing, Brad. I think that they're encouraging him to be regular old Bradley Beal from Washington even when he's out there with the best guys on this team. And, and we'll see, you know, whether the usage has to come down inevitably and how the pecking order kind of shapes up and how they each of the three stars pick their spots. But if you're making the, op, the, the best case uh, kind of the best case for Beal, I think it actually, I think there is a chance that he puts up stats and plays a similar type of style and role to what he was doing in Washington. Like, I think that there's a real shot that all three of these guys are averaging 25 plus points a game and, and usage is really high and it just comes kind of at the expense of everybody else. But uh, my most important player is Kevin Durant. Okay. Easy answer. It's my other choice. So the Suns were 8-0 with him in the regular season last year, 14-5 overall. They posted a plus 18.4 net rating with Book and Durant on the court last year uh, across the regular season and postseason, if I'm remembering right. might have just been regular season. Um, To me, the impact that he's going to have on this team night to night most important and most noticeably is actually on the defensive end. He's their best rim protector and their best non-center rebounder. And he's the guy that makes all their lineups that he's the guy that if you think that they have lineup flexibility, he's why they have it uh, is how I would put it. And so he's going to have to be great on both ends, but I think most consistently and most importantly on defense for them to reach their, their, their ceiling. Um, Coming off of the past two postseasons, I think there are some concerns about his ball handling and sort of his pure ISO creation ability. Just go 
get us a bucket no matter what. I don't know if in his mid-30s he's still that player. He's gotten his pocket picked and had some turnover problems, had some kind of pull-up three problems and things like that for now two playoffs, not just overreacting to one, but everybody looked ugly that year that they got swept by Boston with the Nets, and now he kind of had the same things crop up against the Clippers and Nuggets last year. But that's why he's playing with Devin Booker and Bradley Beal. So I think the ISO stuff can be alleviated. I think his defensive importance and lineup flexibility stuff is going to be huge for them. And obviously he's Kevin fucking Durant. He's going to score a lot and be really, really good at offense. Yeah, I I think that's a very valid answer. I think if you're going to build Brendan a situation like this where it all kind of has to flow together and kind of requires like some figuring out, I would bet on the one that has Kevin Durant because he's just malleable and like he's never going to be a guy that's like pissed off because he's not getting enough like pick and roll ops run for him. Like he's just going to like no. When he if he feels like he hasn't gotten a bucket in a minute, he's the guy who will just decide I'm running a pick and roll. Yeah, uh, I'm, trying like, to I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to think. I was trying to find the tweet that he had that was just like, I chill. I don't remember what it was or if it was like a bio, but then the when I tweeted Kevin Durant hoop tweet, it was the who the fuck looks at graphs tweet. <laughs> shout out Matt Moore. Yeah, shout out Matt Moore. Um, that, that's a very, I think, valid answer. I think you could make a case for Devin Booker as well, just considering I of think course. he's going to be the, the best guy in this team. And um, Brendan, who, who, as far as Vogel has talked about it, is going to be the de facto point guard, him or Beal? I don't think they're going to have one. I think that they're going to try to turn defense into offense, play fast, and they're empowering everybody on the court, not just the stars, to take the ball up after a, a defensive possession, whether that's a Kogi, Gordon, Eric Gordon, Grayson Allen. Uh, they're basically, well, honestly, in the half court, I think Nurkic is actually the closest thing you're going to find to a, a, a guy whose job is to set the other players up as like a first yeah. and foremost offensive responsibility. Booker I, joked I, about I, it, like he's our point guard, but actually in the half court, like... In the regular being, season, he's going to be the initiator. I was being glib about him like getting a rebound and saying, fuck it, it's Yusuf Nurkic time. Let me dribble up the floor. That's yeah, what I was, probably that's not going to be doing, doing that. But in the half court, yes. So I think the answer is kind of everybody and nobody, point guard wise. Uh, they might try to acquire one over the course of the season, but we'll see. Um, who's your player we're going to be talking about by the end of the season? I'm very intrigued by what you had here because there's like 12 candidates. So I went just like I picked my kind of player, and I picked I went to one you of picked the, a Kogi. No, I actually okay. I went to like you literally said him as your kind of player last episode, so I yeah, figured but it was him. I, I I didn't want to like parody myself, Brendan. I do that enough in my daily life. Like I I just am like a character of myself a lot of the time. But I want I wanted to think about like who's going to scale up in the playoffs in a way that I trust, and like I have two options okay. for this. So I'm going to give you two names. Okay, I think it's whoever pops more between Nazir Little and Yuta Watanabe. I think if this thing works, go ahead. You're going to tell me something. No, no, I'm not going di- to uh, disagree at all. I have it as the same exact thing, except for I have it as a tie between Nasir Little and Kata Bates Diop, because I think those guys are a little more uh, kind of one-to-one. I think Yuta's going to play no matter what, to yeah. your point. I, I just really hey, I just really like Yuta. I think if the shooting stuff with him is real from Brooklyn, like you have just like a guy that can play 15, 20 minutes a game in the playoffs for you, or, or 10 if you really just need like 10 minutes of good forward play. I think my money would be on Utah. I think D- Bates Diop is the other way to the third name I would throw in here for sure, but mm-hmm. I think it's which one of these role guys really becomes like your NBA nerd is in Zach Lowe's Luke Wall and All-Stars column at the end of the year and like is the is the glue piece on a, on a really, really great team. It's whatever one of these role guys that they've given themselves here. 
it's that's the answer to this question. And if I were to bet, it'd be like Utah and tier one, and then it's like Nazlittle and and Bates Diop in round two, and then like Grayson Allen's like in the third tier. So yeah, I think Grayson Allen's a different type of player. He's going to play no matter what, yes. but he's more of a guard than a forward. So I and, think and he's someone. Well, and he's someone that I think like if it comes down to, and they just said we need to put together like the best defensive line if we can, they're just going to take him off the floor because he would be the hunted one. Uh, he's a better defender than Yuta Watanabe is. But you just Grayson Allen's a, bigger... a good defender. Yeah, it's the size thing. That's what I was saying. He's more of a yeah. guard than a forward. So I don't know if it's really going to be like Grayson versus. I mean, in like a game seven when you're playing seven that's, guys, that's, yes. But that's what. Well, that that's what I yeah. mean. Because I when I think about like at this point in the not so much with the Cavs, we're going to talk about next because they have to like prove some shit and like prove they're not going to shit the bed. But mm-hmm. I think. Th- I think when I think about these really good teams, the best teams league, I I, I kind of maybe this is flawed, but I sometimes skip the process of the regular season and think, mm-hmm. okay, what does this look like in the Western Conference Finals? That's where my head. Yeah. Goes. So uh, I think Yuta Watanabe, the the actual the case against him is I'm not sure if he can play in the playoffs at that level. Um, we've never seen that from him. His lack of force and physicality and size and athleticism and that kind of what you need a modern NBA wing to be way I think could hold him back we'll see it's not like I have any evidence to say that it's just sort of you know physically really more than anything um but they absolutely need one of these guys to hit because between Bates Diop and Little and and we can throw Watanabe and and Allen in there whatever because it sounds like Josh Kogi's going to be in the starting lineup to start the season. It's an open question whether he's a playoff player either because of his offensive limitations, and he was not really a playoff player last year. He did not perform well against Denver, even defensively, but especially offensively. Um, And even if he does, let's say he has like the best season of his career, looks very playable. You just go through the West. LeBron James, Zion Williamson, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, even somebody like Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City. You need an answer to big forwards. And we just got done talking about what Kevin Durant can do. You you can't ask him to also be guarding those guys. That's not reasonable. And so it had like that's part of why I don't really think the Akogi thing is going to stick in the starting lineup because I just don't think you can have a 6'5 dude, even as big and athletic as Akogi is, he can't be your answer on a night-to-night basis being like, yeah, he'll he'll just stick to Luka for 30 minutes tonight. That's not really what Akogi is. So I think Bates Diop, little, maybe a little Watanabe, maybe a little bit of a smaller guy like Allen or Gordon who can do it too. They're going to have to find what their answer is to that type of matchup. Um, and I think whichever one of them is kind of becomes highest in the pecking order becomes like the single biggest hinge piece in the NBA come playoff time. Yep. Whoever yep. we think it is by April, that guy is going to have some sort of article written about him or some sort of segment on NBA Today of Brennan, can this be, guy we, get it done? We will be doing that segment. Like, yeah, well, we're going to be the Suns first round series. X Factor, Katie beats you up. Like, we're headed there. You pencil it in. It's literally right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it in pen. Like, not even the erasable yeah. kind of pen. Do you remember erasable yep. pens? I do remember erasable pens. Remember the, the kind of uh, mechanical pencils that had, like, the plastic? The the lead was in the plastic, and you, like, loaded them in? What a weird time we lived through. <laughs> what a weird time. Now kids just get, like, Chromebooks at school. Yep. They don't even yep. look cursive anymore. See, again, I'm, like, 95 years old. All right, uh, let's move on. Best lineup. Mm-hmm. Brandon, what was it last year? 
because I'm I know you do this research and it last year is a little bit weird obviously so like mm-hmm. how did you delineate this so I actually didn't let me pull it up real quick because it was just such a mess the Suns basically played yeah. three seasons so, last no, year we don't, we don't, I mean we don't, we don't need to do it that's I didn't do this we don't need to do this here's my lineup I'll just I'll just give you yeah. mine, my gut and you tell me how wrong I am I think that's that's a good way to do this <laughs> okay because I, I, this, this one is a little. I think this one is a little bit of projection. I think the best. I kind of cheated best. on this one. I, I did one that I think like it might not be a super duper high volume one, but that I think kind of speaks to something interesting about the team and could over the course of the season be statistically the best. So I went a little bit more like, kind of cute with it. So you're, you're, you're free to do whatever you think. All right, and I'm gonna like contradict myself based on what I just said to you. So that's fine. All right, I went Booker, Beagle. I went Eric Gordon. I went K to beat Stiop, and I went Durant. Five, I went Durant at the five. Maybe they have to play zone. Maybe they have to come up. Frank Vogel's going to like be up at night freaking out about how to build the defense. I think that's kind of going to be the big challenge of his coaching job here. I just feel like this version of, of the Suns, whatever it is, whether it's Grayson Allen's in there, whether Wontanabe's in there, mm-hmm. I think the best version of this team is going to be Kevin Durant playing five-up basketball them just scoring a shit ton of points and wrecking yep. teams that way and the defense like holds up enough to make that work i think that's the path here i just don't trust eubanks and nurkic to be in, in the best line for the suns when you look at a big picture and that's kind of the thing right i think statistically i had a basically identical one i put Yuta in there just because i think his three-point shot is going to be more consistent mm-hmm. so if you're just kind of talking about like what would i bet on the the five-man unit that's going to kick ass the most being it's probably just the one where i trust the shooting but I think this will pop as, you know, when you go to cleaning the glass or NBA.com and you search five man units, like it will be statistically the best one. The question is just how much can it play and all that type of thing. But um, so last year, just to, I did pull it. It was Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Josh Kogi, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton. So if you just put Beal in there, that's the starting, and, and Nurkic, that's the starting lineup. And I think that one will probably be the one that plays the most. Um, but I could see a version of this small ball lineup with all three of Booker, Beal, and Gordon, and then whoever you want at the four and Durant at the five as the best offensive lineup in the NBA. Whichever one the Suns settle on as their favorite of that type of lineup, I think will be the best offensive lineup in the entire NBA. Yeah. I don't think you'll I be able that, to stop it. Uh, there's a chance if we get Suns nuggets in the playoffs that it's just like a scoring bonanza, and it's it's like already kind of was last year with Chris Paul no, not wanting I, to take shots. Yes, but this is like turn that dial up a lever, and it's like yeah, the Chiefs, uh, that Chiefs Rams Monday night game from a couple years ago. I don't want to make you feel like time has passed very much, Chris, but I think that was like five years ago. I know your reference, but that was a very long time ago. <laughs> I I had hair. It was a, it was. A I t- believe that was when Jared Goff was still on the Rams uh, pre COVID. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. He was. Been it's a minute. Thing. It's been a minute. Um. But that game was electric. That Kicked game ass. Made me like like gave me. I and also like it's not also not fair to like an, put that game like one to one on this because like I think maybe both these teams are Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs and not one of those teams is not <laughs> yeah. the Rams. Like one of them is not like a system. This is just like pure cocaine basketball like that's what not it's pure like basketball distilled into like cocaine scoring form is what this is yeah it's not the i feel like we're being very Uh, positive so we should probably get best case done quickly and then do worst case and spend a little time on 
the obvious holes with this team because yes. we're making it seem like this team's going to waltz into a championship. And I'm personally, as somebody who has a vested interest in that, getting a little nervous. So let's oh, balance this out a little bit. Wait till I shit on the Cavs next It's going to be great. All right, best case for me, win the title with overwhelming offense. And Devin Booker is an MVP-level first-team All-NBA guy. Brendan, here's my question for you related to Devin Booker. If someone from this team is going to win MVP this year, who is the player? Yeah, it's I him. I tilted my hand. I think it's... Okay, that's it. I just think... I think Booker, like... This might be like a broader introduction of Booker, Booker in, a, in a bigger way to the... So the number of Kevin Durant stands who have found my coverage and may find this episode who are already making me feel nervous about the fact that I am doing Steph better, but on a Phoenix scale is <laughs> nerve wracking to me. And I don't want to contribute in any way, shape or form to the eventual Dude, departure of Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm doing book better on my podcast every day and I'm doing it here and I don't want to be seen. That's why I picked it. KD is most important. It's it's all part of the formula. So let's just keep it moving there, I think. Um, I do think it would be Booker from a health standpoint, from an offensive workload standpoint, uh, for you know, everything else. But, you know, let's, uh, yeah, Katie might let's play, not get the Katie ire of play, Durant. Katie might just play like 60 games. Like that just might be a thing. Probably should. It's just a matter of how much he cares about the award stuff, I guess, with the 65 thing. Uh, for best case for me, I had one of the best offenses in NBA history in a championship. Yes. Brennan, let's take a quick pause. I need to use the restroom real quick. Okay. <laughs> Give me one sec. I just, I like, yeah, I can't. Hold it more. Hold on. Worst case, I, Brennan, I think this is pretty direct. As much as we can talk about this and we've been very positive, as you said, I think the case is that the defense just isn't good. That this is like a, what, bottom 10-ish defense that doesn't scale up in the playoffs, that the offense can't overcome. And they just can't get stops when they really need them to. And, like, I think you get to see a world where they get to the playoffs and they get the wrong matchup, whether it's, you know, is it AD and the Lakers in round two? Is it the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals? Okay, I see which way you're talking about. Is it, like, pick, pick whatever They can stop the is. Lakers' offense. Let's, uh, let's... Okay. let's but, it, but it's just like, I'm sorry, just like Yusuf Nurkic defending Anthony Davis is just, like, such a clear tilt of an advantage. And like I, it wouldn't shock me if this team in like in whenever the bio market reveals itself, they're like, okay, we're gonna try Gorgie Diang, or just like a veteran center who just randomly is on the market because Nurkic. I feel like Gorgie's available good. now if they want him. He is, but it's like I just think there's a chance that like none of this works, and they're like, yeah, okay, we need a center that we can actually like depend on, and doesn't make Frank Vogel feel like he's gonna have a heart attack every time that guy plays drop coverage. They also can't sign a buyout center who makes more than the mid-level. Thank you, CJ McCollum. Um, yeah, worst case, I have none of the young forwards hit. They don't get enough out of the center spot defensively. Maybe some injuries hit, and they underachieve. I think... I don't think regular season-wise the defense has a danger of being bottom 10. I think the offense is going to be good enough, so the stats are going to balance. You know, good offenses tend to have mostly good defenses as long as the talent's decent. Yeah. And I think that they're going to be good in transition defense. They're going to rebound. They're not going to foul. There's all these things that Vogel does that kind of are cheat codes that his defenses tend to do. I think that it's really just going to come down to the playoff defense. Do they have answers for enough things? Do they have enough... 
pieces to throw at different types of players and different types of schemes. Um, and that's an open question and it might not be on this roster. So you're absolutely right. I mean, they might have to make a trade, find a buyout player, bail on Nurkic halfway through a playoff series or earlier than that, one game into a playoff series, one half into a playoff series. I don't know. Uh, I think that they're betting on we're going to have enough different types of players on this roster that we can make it work and cobble it together. But that's a huge risk. And every single player on this roster outside of Devin Booker was signed last July or sooner. So that's a massive thing to have to like click into place over the course of one regular season. It's a it's a big risk. Let me ask you this is just a Vogel thing before we go to over uh, over under. How have your thoughts on him as the hire for this group changed as you've heard him talk, as you've seen him coach some preseason games, and you've kind of got to see in more practical terms what his philosophy is for this particular group? Yeah, I think the two most important things with Vogel are, one, he's going to experiment, be much more aggressive. I think that we underestimate that with playoff coaches. Somebody like Ty Lue or Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, they're not like Steve Kerr started Jamichael Green in the fucking second round last year because he just wanted to mess around, you know? Um, I think Ty Lue, like, he plays mind games. He tries random stuff. I remember in the conference finals in 2021, he threw Boogie Cousins out there for like a half and they got like 15 points out of him because that's just what the best types of coaches tend to do and they they coach their teams to be ready for stuff and so i think vogel's more like that than monty williams is and then i think the other thing is he just has more experience it's kind of similar but going through the gamut of the postseason uh you know not being afraid to kind of coach and re-scheme and do whatever like what frank vogel did in the bubble with that lakers team especially defensively is insane the, he's he has AD guarding Russell Westbrook in one round. Then they're blowing up and blitzing Damian Lillard. Then the conference finals, Davis is guarding Jokic. I mean, a lot of that's AD, and he des- deserves a lot of credit. But not every AD coach has done that, you know. So I think also it's that stuff. Uh, uh, amazing in retrospect that like that happened in the bubble, and Lakers were like, let's trade for Russ. Were the Lakers like that, or were a couple members of the Lakers like that? I think. That's well, the was question. the guy who was guarding uh, guarding Russell Westbrook into that as well as LeBron James? Maybe, so look, uh, uh, maybe credit, he was. Yeah, yeah. To Vogel's credit, I do think like coaching LeBron as raw of a deal as he got at the end. I do think that's about as good of a prep as you could get for coaching this kind of team. Yeah, exactly, and I think that matters. And I think it sucks to be like it, it feels very football when teams are like we have a bunch of offensive talent so we're gonna hire like the dc on the best defense in the league and then that'll just like okay that's our defense feels very much like that but we'll see i mean it's he has the reputation for a reason he got a a middling defense out of a nikola vucevic aaron gordon front court at one point too in there you know it's not just indiana and the lakers but uh the number is 51 and a half here over under i went under I did too. I I just I, this doesn't this isn't in a way too that makes me feel like down on this team. I think we've been overwhelmingly positive about this team. Mm-hmm. I just think this is a really good conference that's gonna like maybe just have some guys miss some time and they win like forty eight games and are like the three seed and it's like okay they're actually the favorites in the West anyway even though they're the three seed or like the second favorites to the Nuggets or something. Like I think that's kind of what's what's kind of gonna happen here. And I think that they will care a lot about the regular season. I feel like we like to say, oh, that regular season won't matter. It will, but not so much for the stars. Like, they'll care about how their lineups 
look how the role players develop, what works, what doesn't, but they're not going to prioritize getting KD out there for 75 games for no reason. So all that stuff's going to factor in. Only one West team lost uh, one more than 51 games last year, which was Denver. Um, it's going to be a big adjustment year, as we said, but to make the case on the other side, and the reason I would not touch this if I was actually betting, I think there's actually a lot of outcomes where the Suns blow past this if they're just incredible offensively and the defense is good sure. enough. They posted, again, a plus 18.4 net rating last year when Booker and Durant were on the court. That's astronomical, and those guys are going to share the court a ton. And also, with a similarly questionable defensive roster, no Nick Claxton in Phoenix, I get that, but still, Brooklyn was on a 55-win pace over the first half of last season before KD sprained his, his MCL. And that was with... Kyrie uncertainty, a bunch of young role players, a, bun a, a new team, Steve Nash changing, you know, getting fired, all that stuff. So it is uh, very possible that the Suns, if the West doesn't pop up as much as we think, that that the Suns do storm to it. But I also picked over on Golden State and and the Lakers, so I have to go. I have to. Not everybody's going to hit the over, so that's kind of the point too. I think here. Yeah. Well, I to to my fault. I didn't like. I just kind of I'm just going vibes every time on this. I'm not really like saying like oh I I'm not thinking. I have been up to now, but now we've done so many that I'm like I mean. It, it's nah, not just right. so much the over or the under. It's like if I feel really good about other West teams, then I can't also, yeah, I can't feel good about every West team. Somebody's going to lose some games, you know. This is not gambling advice uh, to quote our friend Peter Appel from the just basketball show. All right. Cleveland Cavaliers time. Brendan, this is the Just Basketball Preview special. We're moving on to Cleveland. Um, I, I want you to start with the, the first question first, and I, I kind of want to respond because I, I I think these I think this this for these first two questions for Cleveland are very much you could answer them in just like Phoenix, I think in different ways. I think I also might just be again being a character of myself with how I decided to answer them. I think that's very possible. Okay. So I want you to tell me most important player first. Who who's your most important Cleveland Cavalier? Evan Mobley. Okay, I went Max Struess because I'm a piece of shit, apparently. So, Yeah, I can't I just, be Max Struess. So, look, here's the thing. I've just, like, watched him, like, take shots that, like, no other Cav could take last year. And it's like, oh, right, having someone who can catch a, th catch a ball on the wing and mm -hmm. shoot it without hesitating and the defense actually freaks out is, like, a really big deal. It's just like, oh, that's why a lot of teams have spent lots of money. That's why Duncan Robinson got paid a crap ton of money and became, like, a podcaster, right? Like... The, that skill set is just was so glaring and it's like watching a different sport kind of when you have a guy who actually just does that it makes all of your lineups function better like it is probably Evan Mobley but I just felt like Struess is just going to make such a massive impact just because he does something that no one else that they had last year can mm -hmm. do that I think it's just going to make everything function better and they've used him on the short roll in the preseason and just like actually run different looks to just give themselves some variation on offense that wasn't possible before he got there, which is wild to say for a guy that is like not going to be an all-star. He's like a very well-played yeah. role guy, but what he does is the he's the only guy that they have on this team that can do this, and they just didn't have it last year, and it, it has really showed so far, and I think when you go back and look at last year, it's very clear that there's a reason that it's worth signing, trading, and hard capping yourself mm -hmm. and paying this kind of guy $19 million because they just desperately needed it. It's a it's a totally fair answer, and it will be a breath of fresh air watching them and seeing how his impact shows up in the numbers, and I think actually it kind of leads to 
Mobley a little bit because he gets you one step closer to some small lineups with either Allen or Mobley as the only big. There's a lot of reasons he's important, but I had to scroll back all the way to the very first preview that we did, Chris, to find a player as, I don't want to say bad, a, a player at the level of Max Struess, who was my answer for most important, and that was Bilal Koulibaly because the Wizards don't have any players. <laughs> So I just, Look, like, I'm looking down the list. It's like Kawhi Leonard, Tyrese Halliburton, Chet Holmgren. Uh, we got Zion here. We got Scotty Barnes, Cat. Come on. I'm too can't be to Max Struess. You're not going to finish the season. At, if the, Let's say the Cavs make the conference finals and push, push the Celtics to six games, and you're going to be like, ah, thank God Max Struess did that for us. You're going to be like, wow, Evan Mobley played lights out or Darius Garland took another big leap or Jared Allen got his shit together. You're not going to be like Max, our Lord and Savior, Max Struess. No, it's just like, it's just, it's really just like, I watched the, the two preseason games. I'll see them in person uh, for the first time on Monday against admittedly like not a good team. Like it's, a, it's like a not top level Israeli team they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um Watching a guy just like shoot threes and the defense like runs at him because they're scared of him shooting is just like, oh right, you're allowed to have that on your basketball team. It's like kind of absurd. Yeah, you like, are you're kind of- you're speaking as somebody who watched Karis Levert, Ricky Rubio, and Isaac Okoro take spot up threes for a year, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's hurt people like say weird things on podcasts, is I think how the phrase goes. So okay, let me make the case for Mobley then. Yeah. I think Evan Mobley taking a major step forward on either end changes everything for the Cavs. Yeah. I'll go through the four things that I think could happen and what the ripple effect is. If his ball handling comes along, they can play big more easily. If his shooting comes along, their offensive ceiling just goes way up. If his physicality and force and playing like a center stuff comes along, then they can play small more easily. And then I think if he can defend wings better, then they can switch more, go to another level as far as their defensive versatility and kind of like scariness on that end. Maybe that goes along with playing small too. So it's like, I think we kind of oversimplify it because we've known for so long with Mobley dating back to USC that the offense was kind of the thing that needed to keep developing, but it's like, he could actually take another leap defensively and they could get better as a result of that. You know, this might not be the year the offensive leap comes, but I think he could even make them a better team by doing some of the other stuff. Uh, and maybe the offensive leap is still a year or two away and, and, and the team gets better anyway. So I just think that's why it's him because there's so many pathways to him making them a better overall team in a way that even Garland, who I did think about, uh, I don't think there's as many pathways there because of honestly just what he is physically. The Mobley thing, I think, defensively is, is where I would start with this because I went the one of the games I went back and rewatched for this was the Heat game they had later in the season where what they decided to do was say, "Hey, you're going to defend Jimmy Butler," and it's one of the few times I've seen Jimmy Butler like very hesitant to drive and really struggled with the length of Evan Mobley, and I want to see that done in different ways. They also have this zone that they didn't really run last year, and I think it's because they didn't feel like they had enough size on the wing. Like I think they didn't feel like their wings were big enough where they would put Mobley at the top of the of a three two zone, kinda like the they talked about it like it was the KG zone from back in the day with the Wolves. The Liberty do it with Stewie. Yes. They didn't do it last year and I think finding a way to bring that back would just like give him like a like it he it was ridiculous how good it was his rookie season. 
the offensive stuff, I think it, it's a really interesting case study because you look at Chet and, and Victor Wembanyama, two guys with like similar body types, came in a little leaner. They both came in, I think, more advanced on offense. There's no question about it, right? Like when, like Victor's come in and he's just more advanced. I think Chet, even with the year, even pre the year off, I think you would have looked at him as a a more more a better offensive prospect in some ways, right? But Mobley also has had this weird case where because of the go and get Donovan Mitchell before his second year, he just he hasn't had the chance. Like his usage went down in year two. Not by a lot. Yeah. Like less than a percent, I think. But it's so rare for a guy like him that we th- I, I at least I think of as highly as I do. I don't want to speak for you necessarily and like where you think he, he's going to be. But do not get a chance to like expand his role and make a bunch of mistakes and learn and progress from like his path offensively is just gonna it's I don't it's hard to project because he doesn't have the chance to like try a bunch of stuff in games that don't really matter in a way that is kind of typical of guys in, in his path. Like even Chet this year is probably gonna get to do some stuff. <laughs> That's just him messing around a little bit. That's obviously what Wembenyama is gonna get to do in San Antonio. Mobley's <laughs> as we're not, seeing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mobley's not exactly had that opportunity, but I, there's the way they've talked about him as part of the offense, the way they're using him, him as more of a hub as a passer in the preseason does make me think that I think with the J.B. Bickerstaff, I think adjusting the offense some, I do think you're going to see them try to make Mobley a more intentional piece of the offense in the way that he wasn't as, aside from being like a lob guy last year. Yeah, I think I do feel pretty highly about him. And I think part of, why the ball handling i think you and i have talked about this before that that's kind of more maybe not more important but equally as important as the shooting is i think the thing that he has that chet or Wemby or some of those guys don't and what makes like the garnett or Giannis or some of those like seemingly very far-fetched comparisons a little bit more realistic is he his body and he he's a little leaner like you said but he's strong as hell and getting stronger and he's he seven. He added seven pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he looks bigger this year. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me, he and he doesn't skinny, avoid contact, yeah. right? Like even yes. when he was skinny, like he, it's not like he plays to avoid physicality. Mm-hmm. So I think the the ball handling, the ability to like catch the ball and draw a foul, or even you know end of clock spot up or post up or well, transition stuff. Those are ways that he can start to make an impact before the jump shot and maybe if the never jump shot never does come along the transition stuff is i think where we should end this part of it because something that he is really good at that they have talked about wanting to emphasize more in some way and i don't know exactly what this looks like but they, it's it's a thing he's really good at getting a rebound and just going and considering how garland likes to play and how mitchell like to play they both like to take the ball up the floor kind of slow the start is set at 16 seconds. Like it's a little, it's a little slow. It's a little like lacks a little bit of urgency. Mobley, when he gets a rebound, like shoots himself out of a cannon and is like at half court in two steps because his legs are so long. He can generate, I think, easier looks for a team that's going to need to do that at times. And whether that's like Jared Allen is going to do what Stephen Adams did for Russ when Russ got the triple double and like clear out the way, and then Mobley gets rebounds and goes. I think there's or Mobley just gobbles up more rebounds this year, particularly when he's playing at the five. I think that's like a very clear path for offensive growth. He just gets to get out on the break, either drive to the rim and get fouled, spray out a pass to someone, and at least create advantages because he's the one guy in on the team that wants. It's like him and Okora are the two guys that actually want to play fast. Like no one else mm-hmm. really wants to like get things going as much as it would benefit them. 
Donovan Mitchell to play a little bit faster. So I went pretty sicko with the player we're going to be talking about. You went okay. sicko I, for the most important. I went, I, I, I went a little that I, way with uh, I, talking about. I didn't go sicko for this. I went like a guy okay. that I just destroyed. Give, give me the sicko answer. Well, no, you go first now. I'm kind of curious what you what yours is. I went with Darius Garland. Okay. It's a little bit of a weird one because two of the most important players on the team are also still developing. So it's like, it's not like we're not talking about Darius Garland, you know? Yeah. Hol- who? It's like he got maxed yeah. out. Like, you know, yeah. it's Darius yeah. Garland. But okay, tell me what, 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 what's, the, what's the next step for him this year? The seeds are being planted for him to have an uptick in his three-point rate. He's like been below average like every of his career in terms of three-point rate. It's like a very glaring part of his shot profile. They are laying the seeds for him to take a bunch more threes in different ways and to take another step forward as a scorer. Like it is just like on the table the way they're using him as far as using Mitchell off ball a little bit more. Garland's getting run around screens. Um, like they're running, they ran a set in the in the first preseason game where Mobley was the hub on offense at the at, above the elbow. Garland feeds to him. Struce sets a back screen for Garland. Garland whips around to the corner because Struce is in the short roll. Struce finds him in the corner for a three with Damian Jones because Allen's out with an injury right now, setting the screen for the dunker spot. They're gonna do stuff like that with Garland because he can move a little bit more dynamically like that than than Mitchell does. He just is a little more fluid in terms of and willing. It's not as yeah, and he's just and he's yeah, willing is a good way to put it. I think there's just like a like a lot of there's been food he leaves on the table because he's so mm-hmm. unselfish as a passer that I think just forcing him to be more of a scorer and for him to just take more threes as part of the Cavs taking more threes as a team, he's going to spearhead that. And I think yeah. you're just going to see a leap for him as a scorer on top of him being, to me, the guy that if I had to put the ball in anyone's hands on this team to make the right decision, it's him. It's not even a question. So I think him as a scorer, you're just going to be like, oh, I think that's, that, that is very much on the table for him this year. And the seeds are being planted for that to, to hit reality. I don't mean this in any one direction more than the other, but it is a testament to how I feel about both players. Darius Garland can be a more valuable offensive player than Donovan Mitchell someday, right? Yeah, I, I Brendan, he is already right now. I don't know how much better as a, as a passer and a creator for others, but he's like... He's just straight up better at that than Donovan Mitchell. It's not, And it's not close. It's really not no. close to me. In that Knicks series, they were at their best when Donna, when Darius was at his best. The, yeah, the one game that Darius went off was like a really, really like it was a pressure. It was a release foul for for the whole team, and particularly I think for Donovan. I think that, like, I think there's reason to be skeptical about this partnership long, long term. And if Donovan even wants to stick around, I think that's like an all an open question. I think there's the the reason you should be optimistic about it, and maybe think it's not a McCollum like Lillard redux in some way is because Darius is this is just a level of a creator I think well above if he ends up being like the the Robin to Mitchell's Batman let's say or like he's the Lillard he's the McCollum he's just a better creator and willing to play that role in a way that if you build enough defensive stuff around it and you can with Mobley you can with Allen I think there's like a way that works just because Garland can be such a pressure release valve for for what Mitchell wants to do and what Mitchell's good at yeah, I, th- I think I think he's going to be he's going to be really good. Uh, Dean you, Wade, can I ask you? Wait, oh, okay. One last thing, and then we'll talk about Dean Wade. All your accounting needs, copyrights, the the low post. Um, 
Garland, Darius Garland, 2019 draft. Is he like number two in that? Like, is there a case that he's like, is he, th- he's definitely three at the worst, but is there a case he's like top two in that draft class at this point? Just considering like Zion. It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting point in time to think about that considering Zion and Jaws. Yeah. You know, inflection point 2023 for, for each of them. Yeah. I mean, it's drafted fifth. So, you know, uh, it wouldn't take much to, to vault into there, but yeah, I mean, he's right there. It wouldn't be surprising if you're asking me to snapshot it right now if he has like the best career, quote unquote, you know? Might just be like a round longer than like Zion. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So Dean Wade, um, this is not as, this is kind of, this is definitely a sicko pick because I think you could just like pick George Niang and you'd be like, that's my answer because I. Th- Isn't the peak of Dean Wade better than George Niang though, especially on defense? I mean, that's kind of why I picked him is. Yeah. I just think he's a better, more kind of. It's theoretical. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously struggled with injuries forever, even dating back to college, and and that's mm-hmm. just why it all might not matter. But he's been a like the stats always have loved him defensively when he's on the court. He creates turnovers better than you would think, and he's shot thirty six percent on like five hundred career threes. Like. It's still at at his best somebody who is probably playing 15 minutes for you in the playoffs or, you know, 20 in the regular season. I'm not trying to say that he it's going to be the end all be all for this team. But again, speaking back to the ability to have some more lineup versatility, space the floor, some of the things that they were lacking last year, I think he can be one of the missing pieces for for some of that stuff. It's not even, to me, him or Niang. It's like, maybe it's him or Okoro, you know? Or maybe it's him or yeah. somebody else. And it just gives them more kind of modern lineup construction in in more different situations. And I think if he's healthy, they're going to be able to look a lot different minute to minute over the course of games and series and, you know, the season than they were able to last year when, again, it was like Rubio and Okoro and just guys who have, are very limited. Well, and particularly a, a, a Rubio who just like physically and did not look right. And to be like, we as of right now, we have no idea like what he's like. If Rubio is even going to like factor in in this team, he's away for the team with mental health issues. But like, he could factor in at some point. I would. Here's what I would say about Dean Wade. I think everything you said is right. I think he needs to just sometimes like let the like. I think there's there's two things with him that I I would say I'm looking at for him if he's going to really pop. Number one, I want him to up his I want him to take even like more threes and he's in the 83rd percentile as far as his position, but sometimes he's just like a tad hesitant. I just want him to let him go. Just let him all fly. Like, get up to 70% of your shots from three. Let's just like lean into this all the way. Get up from your 67% last year. Secondly, Rebounding wise, he if there was a thing you felt when Kevin Love left last year for Cleveland, it's a Dean Wade, like as maybe he's he's more dynamic, I think about definitely a better defender. He just isn't the kind of he hasn't proven himself to be the kind of rebounder that I think you need if he's gonna be your small ball for now. Neat the thing with Niang is that's the same thing. That's like one of the things with Niang. He never has rated out as a good rebounder, but he's also played with like Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. So it's like, is there some noise in those numbers because he's playing with these two particular centers? I think there's a I think this is a great job because I think Wade is gonna have to he has to prove himself a little bit this year because they went out and gave Niang some money because I think they need they wanna they're gonna roll out a core at times. Because they like Ty Jerome, it seems like, as another guard option. But Wade, as someone who can shoot, who can play a couple different spots, 
who can put the ball on the floor a little bit when you need him to. I think there's a need for this kind of skill set on this team, absolutely. I think, I mean, there is very much a path here where he is someone who's like, is this a key role guy in a playoff series? And he was hurt last well, year. They, point. Exactly. And they paid Niang, but Wade still makes more, you know? So no, uh, like they already they got the, no, Wade's at he? like five, no, no, Wade's at like 5.7, 6.2. Niang's like, I think a little bit above that. Oh man. Well, still, you know, it's like, I guess my point is I mean, they paid Wade also. So you're yeah, right. Ni- Niang's at, Niang's, Niang's at nine. So I was, yeah. I was off on that one, but um, <laughs> it's, it's troubling how easily I knew that Dean Wade makes like 3 million less dollars than George Niang. But that's I mean, I would hope there's only 15 guys you got to keep track of. Um, all right, best lineup last year. The basically two different versions. Um, the Karras lineup at the three with the other four big four guys was plus 16.2 for them. The Okoro at the three with those four was plus 7.8. So both positive. Um, I didn't get too creative with it. I just went the four guys with Struess, the starting lineup. That's the formula, right? Like the formula here is Garland, Mitchell, Max Struess at the three, upgrade over Okora or Levert at that spot, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But Brennan, what I would say is if you're projecting this out and you're wondering, okay, how does this team evolve this year? What is the evolution? What is their path to having maybe different kind of looks that hold up in the playoffs? Is there a lineup where Mobley's at the five and you slide to one other player? I would say the likely candidates are Niang, Wade, and maybe Okoro, just because I think you need the point of attack defense in certain spots. Could Mobley at the five in those lineups with more spacing, with a more dynamic offense, actually kind of raid out a little bit better in, in larger samples than they have at times and particularly hold up on the glass in a way that doesn't replace the Allen lineups but makes you a little bit more comfortable in the minutes when when it's just Mobley on the floor by himself yeah I just don't buy Niang being able to do that personally I don't I, I like just, I like him in the big lineups I like him in basically I like him when Allen's on the court yes but he's, when he's Mobley's on the court you have to switch I think, uh, and and you have to have size and on-ball defense to be able to do that. So well, even even just the rebound. That's why part somebody like Struess yeah. and Wade and those guys stand out to me more. Yeah, the rebounding part's always going to be hard. I don't really see like a great solution. You know, they don't have PJ Tucker or something to make all that. No, a little they easier. they they need they need to like fuse like Kevin Love's rebounding ability with Dean like every, with Dean Wade's age, and just like <laughs> yeah. there there there's your answer. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, just for the ref, just for uh, for reference or for the record, there we go. I combined those two things in my uh, one into one word. There, Mobley and Allen on together, plus eight last year. Just Mobley, plus five. Just Allen, plus eight. Also, but a little lower. I'm just rounding, and then both off minus one. So they were pretty good no matter what it was. But I think it's just more about playoff stuff and long term knowing that they need to be able to kind of mix and match. Um, all right. Uh, that that gets us into a little bit with the worst case, but we can start with best case. What I had was Struess and Yang help juice the offense. The front office makes a trade to upgrade the Levert or Allen spot, and the Cavs make the conference finals while also giving Donovan more of a reason to stay long-term. That's a great way to putting it. The in-season trade stuff is 
tricky with them because they don't have like an overwhelming amount of assets. But is there like a like a very well paid guy that they could cobble together salary for? The name that people like on Caps Twitter have kind of fantasized about Brendan is Jeremy Grant, and that doesn't really do it for me. That doesn't feel like what they need. No, it feels like it's me. like a name. It feels like mm-hmm. a name, but it doesn't feel like great. I mean. Like, of the guys out there, the one that comes to mind is, like, Ananobi. Yeah, but I'm, I'm there's, like... like yeah, the bidding war for team. him is going to price them out, probably. Yeah, they don't have they don't have the first to, like, make the supplemental move to, like, get someone else to support, like, what they have. Um, yeah. I don't know who it real, is. We could circle back on that at some point. I mean, that, you might have gonna, one. You're, you think about I, it more than I, me. I, I don't I don't have one around because I haven't like looked at all the salaries and other teams in in the way that makes mm-hmm. me like sure and I kind of I there's some statistical stuff I want to run um with some of these new lineups just I want there's some stuff I want to see particularly with like Niang and Wade playing next to Mobley I just I want to see what Mobley is a little more this year before I'm like this is exactly what they need I think is part of because he is still like sure, Garland is not fair. a finished product but Mobley is still very much being shaped I think uh, yeah I mean I me, think yeah go ahead I think yeah you you definitely want to see what the Garland Mitchell Struess Wade Mobley lineup is maybe you put Niang in there whatever uh, before you. Because that's a real lineup, whereas they weren't even really able to get there last year. Um, worst case, I have... Uh, well, what, what if you swapped out... i got to give you my best case, too. But what if you swapped oh, yeah, out yeah, Kelvin yeah, Johnson for, for Karis LeVert? Just like yeah, I in think, a big wing. Who, yeah, Sure. I, I think the defense is still suspect for Keldon, but on a better team with real structure, I think you could bet on that being a good kind of environment for him. Sure, I think that's the type of thing I would... I like that way more than... What was the one you said that Cavs Twitter likes? I already forgot it because I hated it. Yeah, no. Jeremy Grant? Yeah. Also, just he like... Just, I don't I, we think one. of him as being a defender. He just isn't anymore. It's fine. We don't have to pretend Jeremy Grant is a defensive stopper. It's like it hasn't been true since LeBron killed him in the bubble. And we can just, also just skip it. Also just also just telling how easily Aaron Gordon just like replaced him in Denver. Like it should... Yeah. If you're that valuable, it shouldn't be that easy for Denver just to go trade for someone who's actually better than you in that role. Uh, best case, it's just that they don't crap the better than get in the playoffs. They make a conference finals run. And I would note that I think that requires some lucky seeding, i.e. like... Milwaukee and Boston face each other in round two and they get like just a lesser opponent in the second round where they can get through because I, I do think they're going to be a step behind both of those teams and fa- and have real challenges with their rosters in defending Giannis and defending Tatum and defending Brown. I think there's just going to be struggles for them in those series. They should have to go through it. It would be good for them. Good for Mobley. Good for Garland. But you're going to need a little bit of help I think to get there. Yeah. What about Tobias Harris for the Cavs? I just think you want, I just, that feels like you're trying, he's just like the age curve. It's like, I think you, it's hard to be picky, but I, I want to aim a little younger, I think. Yeah. But if you got uh, him yeah, on a bargain, if you got him on a bargain, like it was like a, a second round pick or something and, then, mm-hmm. and like matching salary, yeah. whatever. Still think Buddy makes some sense for yeah. them. Um, not, you know, I, not quite the answer we're talking about in terms of like a big forward, but just to make you probably make them better, you know, why not? Yeah. Uh, worst case, uh, same place as last year for me. Some same similar flaws get just kind of bullied again in the playoffs and they leave and it, you don't know what that means for Donovan and you don't really have a clear direction on, on what this group is supposed to be. As young as some of the guys are, 
because of the Mitchell component, I do think that if you just kind of do the same thing as you did last year, like great regular season team and don't perform in the playoffs, that leaves you in a very uncomfortable spot. Yeah, I just said, uh, well, I, I was a little more aggressive. Um, I said playing big stops working and Cleveland starts to get desperate with trades and firings. Now, stops working is really a playoff thing. So it's kind of the same thing you're saying. I, obviously, they're going to be good in the regular season. I don't think we we know the Mobley Allen thing can work in the regular season. So it's just it's really more of a they run up against it in the playoffs again. And then, yeah, maybe you're talking about not only an Allen or a Levert trade, but obviously Donovan lingering there. And then, you know, head coach, GM, all that stuff starts to come into question when you get desperate like that. Well, Kobe's president of basketball operations. That guy does not have to fire himself. He's he's in it's the, the fall guy here is J.B. Bickerstaff. That's the fall guy here. If they if this I mean, it's not like a one, president of basketball operations has never been fired. The owner fires him. No, no. But the Cavs ownership situation, obviously, like Dan Gilbert's not in the best health. Mm-hmm. I, this isn't that. Th- if this was the Cavs, Brendan, of like five years ago, they might have fired everyone in June this year. They might have just like tried to hire Chauncey Billups again like they did before they hired Kobe Altman as GM in 2018. Mm-hmm. Like that's that doesn't feel like the vibe around this organization, but I do think Bickerstaff, Bickerstaff would be the fall guy. And I think, I think he's not among the league's best, best coaches, but I think he's good. And I think he's been really good for the locker room and relates to those guys pretty well. But if there's a fall guy, it's you fire him and you go try to like hire Kenny Atkinson. You're ready for Jordy Fernandez in Cleveland. You've been ready. <laughs> the 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 sell job they would do about the the journey from Canton Charge to to Cleveland would be like. There you go. It's look the Cavs. The Cavs.com story wrote itself. I'm I'm available for hire. I'd like money. Um, the the Cavs are an organization that like used told a story about uh, Kobe Altman meeting John Bayline at Mike Gainsey's wedding, who's their GM in title. Um, and it's like number two in there and about how Kobe met John Bayline at a wedding. And that's why they hired him. So they're going to, they're, they're really good at getting out and selling this stuff. Very, just very like no notes on, on how aggressive they are about selling this stuff. The win total line is 50 and a half. Yeah. Over easy over me too. Statistically a 55 win team last year. Big four all played at least 68 games, so that's a little bit. If, if there is an injury, uh, that now would be a problem. Right yep. Uh, they basically had zero bench last year and still won that many games. Um, and so I think the other part of it too, though, is like the East might only have two great teams. So yeah, those teams might push 60. We don't know yet, you know, depending on how everything shapes up for Boston and Milwaukee. But if you're just making the case, could the Cavs be a tier below them, but still like a step up from everybody else in a pretty weak conference. Like, yeah, you know, the Sixers will probably dip in wins and we don't know what the Knicks will do and all that stuff. So I think this is one I would feel like if we were doing locks, which we didn't ever do, I would probably put this one as a lock. There's also just a lot of incentive for them, for for, for them, I think, to chase regular season wins in a way that there might not be for some of these other teams. Like there's just a lot to gain for them to saying, it, can we chase... 58 wins and where does that get us and like even if that over if that overperforms their net rating over the course of a year and like we you look at that and say okay that's a little bit inflated they don't it doesn't benefit them to not chase the regular season i think in a major way to give themselves any advantage they can when you get to the playoffs and even donovan like he's the only vet that you might and alan but it's not like 
there's no Durant on this team. There's no LeBron on this team. Somebody you need to load manage or anything like that. So the health stuff, it's like it's it's an interesting factoid that they were so healthy. But I'm like, I'm not going to bet on them to have a bunch of injuries. Like who? It's nobody. I mean, Wade, I guess, it, still uh, like, but OK, whatever. It'd be like it'd be probably be Allen. He usually misses some time. Like, like he missed time last year and he missed time the, the year that they ended up in the playing tournament and got got bounced. Like it was because Allen got hurt and missed a bunch of time. Did yeah. we make a mistake by not talking about Donovan Mitchell more? We have to go, but like, did did we did we not talk about him enough? Considering like who uh, he is and when what I mean, he is. I just don't know if he's going to be better than he was last year, and he's been around for a long time. So you know, if we're thinking about, yeah, it's it's one of the limitations of us doing thirty minutes on every team instead of an hour, I guess. But like, I think people know about Donovan Mitchell, so you know. Watch some YouTube highlights if you're wondering who uh, Mr. Spida is. I think there's plenty of stuff out there for you. I am just, I will say, I'm curious for him, considering he's coming. He came in last year really motivated in a new situation and after getting embarrassed in the playoffs. We got embarrassed in the playoffs again. I kind of feel like there's a lot on the line for him in terms of like his standing in some ways right now. And I'm really curious to see just kind of what Mitchell, like how he was amazing. I think last year was the best year of his career. How does he follow it up after another playoff disappointment, I think, is a real question. And it's not going to be one we can answer for a while. It's not as easy as some of the Garland questions or the Mobley questions, I think, are to kind of project. But I think this is a really pivotal year for a guy that's absolutely in his prime and also has his future kind of... I uh, Maybe more than anyone on in some of the teams we've talked about, like one of the guys that I think whose future is probably the most like discussed in some ways as far as the next couple years of, of player movement in the league. Yeah, let's maybe make a point of talking about him either in the lead up to the season in some way or in one of the early season shows because I definitely have thoughts. I also just try to make these previews relatively optimistic and I'm kind of a Donovan hater coming off of last year. So I didn't want to just, I mean, I, I feel very good about this team. I think they're going to be even better than last year. So I'm not going to like sit there. Plus the Donovan story right now is just the trades and like that's not really the spirit of what we always try to focus on. So, you know. No, we did. Did we do slop of the, I don't, I can't remember anymore. Did we do slop of the week where the, the New York Post like was like the Knicks might want to use Evan Fournier's expiring to get one? Oh, we did. To get Mitchell Gobert. I think you yeah. brought it up. Yeah. 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 That's like, there's, if he's getting traded, you can like take us to the bank. It's next summer if it happens. If it's going to happen, it's not going to be in season. I would be no flabbergasted if he got dealt in season. They have no real reason to do that. I mean, no. unless it just got so ugly that it was like a, a toxic situation day to day behind the scenes and stuff. But I don't think it's going to get there. Why yeah, would he it? does? He doesn't he doesn't strike me as that kind of guy in general. But all right, we've left it here. This has been the Just Basketball Extravaganza pod, dare I say, for Monday, October 16th. This is really, Brennan, to me, I, I gut feeling one of our best episodes, I think, to me. Okay. But we got a WNBA finals game. We got two the, the the previews for the two teams that we cover day to day in our on our other endeavors. I think just a big day for the show. We got some. If we can't slots. do that one, if we can't do this one well, if we can't hit uh, swing and, and hit this one out of the park, I feel like we shouldn't probably be doing this show. So I agree I think, with I you. Think, we did a good I job. Think. Pat ourselves on the back. The audience yeah. should thank us in the comments and hit like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Yeah. And. We got another WNBA Finals game and a bunch of teams yes. we know less well to talk about next time. <laughs> <laughs> Programming notes coming up. We're going to preview, among other teams, the Toronto Raptors this week. And Wednesday night, because our recording schedule falls on a Tuesday this week, YouTube only. Well, maybe you could throw up an audio. It wouldn't be too hard for me to mix. But 
primarily on YouTube, WBA Finals Game 4 recap from Brendan and I after Liberty Aces Wednesday night in New York. Please tune in for that. Please subscribe and everything. Enjoy the hoops. NBA season's almost here. Talk to you all next time.